Speaking of films that haven't aged well at all, I watched for the very first time in my life um, Teen Witch. I don't think I've ever seen Teen Witch before. I've seen Teen Wolf. I think you should watch Teen Witch in the same way I think you should watch, if you ever were to get the opportunity, a pair of clowns fucking and eating each other in the other order. I am intrigued. Um... I understood The Room more than I understood Teen Witch. I understood Troll 2 more than I understood this film. I don't understand why it's not a musical, and yet there are musical numbers that are basically the teenagers lip-syncing. I don't understand how this girl gets... It, it's Basically, it's a film about a girl gets magical powers from the lady from Poltergeist. Um... And is a witch. Although it's more things she wishes come true. It's more like she's a genie. It should have been called Teen Genie. But I don't think that was edgy enough. So it's Teen Witch. It's very 80s. It's got three white boys rapping in it. Um, Just YouTube top that Teen Witch for that amazing scenario. Um, She makes everyone at the school... Love her because she's one of those people who's clearly very good looking, like very, you know, clearly a, a beautiful girl who is wearing massive clothes to make herself look not so much. And then takes the massive clothes off and wears less massive clothes to show she has become beautiful and confident. Um, one of those things. But she uses her powers predominantly to make a boy fall in love with her and have sex with her. And that's not okay. No. Everything this girl does in this film is not okay, but it's presented in a romantic, she's finally getting what she deserves way. The mentor character, who in any other film, um, this is Lady from the Poltergeist, in any other film would advise the main character not to go overboard with their powers. Not only is this mentor character complicit in it, She's encouraging of it, at one point telling her that witches get to make their own money. And then just counterfeits money in front of us. And the film ends when she gets a bit bored of having enslaved the school into loving her. And basically, like, magic roofed her boyfriend. And the film ends with her just deciding not to do that, and then she gets the guy. And then the film ends. And no description I give you, no description I give you, can quite describe what that film is. Because I, I, it's... I, I've I described seen it as, that before, apparently. I just went oh, okay. and looked it up. And, yeah. Um, I had, I, I, I'm still not familiar. I didn't know where this came from. I don't know how I'd been exposed to it before. Thank you, Internet, I guess. Yeah, but, I, I, um, a lot of people, like, that's clearly the famous thing, because when I said I was watching it for the first time on Twitter, almost all of the replies are, wait till you get to the top that rap. Then I did. Then I tweeted, Jesus Christ. <laughs> then a few seconds later, I tweeted, Jesus Christ again. <laughs> if it were any whiter, it would yeah. get tanned by the moon. <laughs> it's a very white film. In fact, there's only one person of colour with a speaking line. And it's about five lines at best. And the rest is pure white filth. 
<laughs> White filth. Um, Speaking of... Lots of rapping. Lots of... I mean, like I said, I can't describe it. To me, it's on the level of Troll 2. But for some reason, I guess it found a young enough audience to where it's considered a cult classic. I found it confusing. I found it devastating. Appalling. And Alex can tell you at one point she saw a look on my face and it was just confused horror. (laughs) It was like watching a war crime (laughs) in real time. I, I I have the visual in my head of just, looking over as your your mouth just agape. Yeah. Your eyes unbelieving. I almost I was close to crying at one point. I could not comprehend what I was seeing. Um but you know it's Halloween so if you want a a Halloween movie <laughs> not because it's any in any way Halloweeny. Even though witches are involved, um, it's more, like I say, she's more of a teen genie than a teen witch. But it's horror. (laughs) Just a very unconventional kind. Um, It's not okay. Nothing that girl does in that film is okay. It's not okay. Anyway. Speaking, Speaking of, of sorry. films with, with very white casts and, and people making decisions that are not okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Lawnmower Man is a The movie. Lawnmower Man. The Lawnmower Man. Now, this was a movie using cutting-edge visuals um, about virtual reality in, what, 1992? Yeah. 1992, 93, I think it was 92. Um, we can't expect that movie to have aged adequately in 2018. The problem with this movie is I don't think it aged adequately by 1994. I... I ha- Okay, so I have a long kind of history with this movie. Um, and I was talking about this a little bit on Twitter, but um, I haven't seen it in about 15 years, but prior to that, I have seen The Lawnmower Man dozens of times because in the pre-internet streaming days, you know, well, back when I was a kid, you know, we had 60 cable channels and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> we liked it, you know, but I had... Hell, so, in my day, it was four until I think later in the 90s and then Channel 5 came along. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had four. And this is one of those movies that benefited from terrestrial television when TV Absolutely. mattered. Because it's one of those movies that I feel is not forgotten now, but was a lot more of its time because it was circulated more and TV shows and things would re- reference it. But those TV shows don't matter anymore. They're forgotten. So a lot of the culture that was propping up Lawnmower Man is gone. So it's one of those ones that I feel in my mind are a lot more classic than it is these days because I remember it being a thing. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what it is. It's it's an I remember this being a thing, which is it's, it's like not... Wild Wild West. <laughs> well, I think it's better than Wild Wild West. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just mean in terms of it was a way bigger deal way back when it came out, and yeah. even though people remember it, um, a lot of the culture that made it a big deal isn't here anymore. 
And it's I think not a lot fondly of people... remembered like Gremlins, which internet culture preserves. And, and it's a movie that the things that I think are memorable about it constitute such a small portion of the actual film. <laughs> and hell. Like, and we, for the purpose of explanation, we watched the uh, director's cut that is available on Amazon. It is a whopping, uh, what, two hours and 41 minutes? Yes, it's, it's a lengthy watch. Yeah, and I'm going to look up here what the uh, original running time of the film is because I intended to do that before we got on here and I got distracted. Like you do. Let's see what IMDb here says. Uh... Interestingly, the director's cut starts with a disclaimer about jump cuts and other things they had to do to try and make it work as a director's cut. Yeah, well, they added fully 32 minutes to the running time of the Jesus. film in this director's cut. And if I am like completely honest, if they had not put that note there at the beginning saying that they'd done this and I weren't, you know, just vaguely aware because of the term director's cut being on there, I wouldn't have known the difference to no, be totally No, to be honest. honest. I, I kept an eye out for like the first 20 minutes. Like, where are these jump cuts? But then I just forgot. I forgot about the disclaimer and just stopped looking and didn't really notice anything glaring. I saw one one point where it was clear that they had inserted additional footage uh, by way of a jump cut, and that's yeah. when the priest is beating Job. Um, they they had trimmed back the amount of beating of Job that there had been originally. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, it wasn't 32 minutes of beating Job that was <laughs> for a move. That, so. would have been, that would have been a prequel to Passion of the Christ. That might have been that would have been a more interesting director's cut movie, yeah. definitely. Because uh, you'd be sat there. When is this going to end? <laughs> I don't like what I'm seeing, but I need to see how long they make this happen at us. Uh, but it it is kind of an interesting movie. Um, it we can laugh about the CG. I think the CG is fitting. Maybe. In, in terms I mean, of, of what it is. We've got to look at the 90s benchmark, though, and remember that a year later Jurassic Park came out. Sure, sure. But again, we have this to This looks consider... worse than Reboot. This looks worse than a children's TV show. But I Reboot think has... is better. I think it has the advantage of being early enough in this process and stylistically cohesive enough to be set aside the fact that it is technologically dated and sort of look at it as what it is, is just part of this whole kind of weird train wreck of a movie. I, I, I think it's appropriate for what it is. It doesn't bug me, uh, even though I recognize that it is objectively awful when placed in comparison to things produced within a very, very short time following it. Toy Story came out three years later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, this is I mean, it. I just... I guess. I mean, the thing is, is it is an interesting enough movie. Um, I don't think it's... It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be coming back to it. Like, I haven't I watched it really since worried. I was a kid. This I might be the first really time in worried. 20 years or more that I've seen it. 
And yeah, I was pleasantly surprised that the story itself was at least, at least engaging. Yeah. It is, it's better than its effects. And I think the, the themes are as relevant now as they were when it was made. Yeah, yeah, like, the more intelligent you are, the more okay it is to take your shirt off. <laughs> well, I was uh, I was thinking more in terms of scientific progress needs to be tempered with wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I... I don't... It's, it's, it's not a particularly, like, super enjoyable movie to watch. It's kind of <laughs> slow, and it has a lot of a lot of characters yeah. that have it's to... like it's like Blade Runner it is Lawnmower Man is exactly like Blade Runner yeah yeah that's true they're pretty except, much the same film except I will watch the Lawnmower Man all the way through <laughs> <laughs> I get bored of Blade Runner really quickly uh, yeah I know I know what the fuck's going on in Lawnmower Man yeah yeah um and it's I mean, it, I'm not like, why is Rutger Howard Daffy Duck now? When did that happen? <laughs> I don't think, it, like, it, it uses virtual reality as a means of discussing these themes and presenting these themes. And yeah. I think it's very fair to laugh at its suggestions about the future of virtual reality. Well, yeah, I mean, it does say at one point that the ter- at, uh, it starts the movie by saying that at the turn of the millennium, virtual reality will be widespread adopted. And like here but, we are in 2018, and it's still a niche product because it's prohibitively expensive and physically uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah, but I... So fuck them for thinking that. It's 1992, but, idiots. But I think that it does still wind up being an oddly accurate cautionary tale in the end. Oh, yeah, like, maybe the technology has changed, but certainly the the dehumanizing aspect of all that access is relevant. It's the kind of movie that if they tried to remake it, it couldn't be about virtual reality per se. They'd have to come up with something else. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, I think, I think ultimately this is a, uh, a very prescient warning about what the internet would yeah, and sure. has now become. You know, Interestingly, it, it... as a pre-internet movie, you know, this is before internet was really a, a, a cultural thing. Yeah. Um, as evidenced by the fact that when he talks about, when Job talks about how he's going to be this sort of neural network, He's going to be adopted just like television was before him. <laughs> I'm like, well, mm-hmm. that's outdated now. It would be the internet now. And like these days, he'd have to be something greater than the internet because basically, Job wanted to be the internet by the yeah. end of this film. Yep. Yeah, it's so it's interesting and it's pretty well cast. And you know, I I think I think Jeff sort Baby, of. The main problem with me is every time I see Job on screen, I keep expecting him to like talk like this because I keep expecting him to be a Trey Parker character. He looks uh, like Trey Parker. He does. Yeah, you know, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. He does look like Trey Parker. I actually think he looks a lot like Val Kilmer. 
I can see that too. Val yeah. Parker. Yeah. Trey Kilmer. Yeah, I, I That's I, just like a fashion statement. Like, think, oh, you are looking Trey Kilmer. I think Fahey does a, a pretty good job of, of oh, it's good. portraying the you know, the Job character with this de- developmental disability and, and progressing on and uh that's that's effective. I think one of the aspects of the production that really I enjoy is how they use Job's hair mm. uh to to indicate where he is in his progression um the the way his hairstyle changes over the course of the film and and as he changes is 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 pretty neat starting out this just sort of matted ratty stringy lump and then he starts to you know care for his hair and it's this wavy i mean Donald Trump would be proud <laughs> uh of that straw on his head and then, uh, you know, later when he's all sweaty and it's <laughs> hanging down, dripping off the side of his face and he looks all he's fucked up. He's just an oily, smart boy. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. They 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 do a, a pretty solid job of making a oh, movie here. Oh. We want to talk about it in more detail? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We open with an explanation of virtual reality as an as a technology uh, representing unlimited computer-generated worlds with millions of positive uses and expectation that it'll be in widespread use by the turn of the millennium. Now, had Ben Kachera wrote this part, uh, like yeah, the I, this I was film. waiting for it. I was waiting for it. I knew it was. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get to my Ben Kachera joke first. Or it was be you. <laughs> But I knew it was coming in this opening paragraph. <laughs> uh, some fear VR maybe a new form of mind control. Well, that's certainly ominous. Um, cut to Virtual Space Industries, also known as the Command Center from Power Rangers. Uh, this, this is not that building, but it does actually look a whole heck of a lot like the rear of that building. Mm. I don't, you know, I don't know, but it's just some hideous, brutalist architecture. Um, inside, Dr. James Bond, uh, name is Larry in the film, played by Pierce Brosnan. Uh, he's talking. Not his finest performance. It's very melodramatic. I don't know whether the script is to blame for that or the length of scenes is to blame for that. Listen, I think faults on all sides. I mean, yeah. it's not made make Brosnan's. It doesn't make Brosnan's job any easier no. when he's got to say with all seriousness he was the best chimp I ever had. <laughs> that is a line from this film. It yeah. really does sound like for the first, I want to say, like 25, 30 minutes of this film, it just sounds like he wants to fuck monkeys. He was the best chip I ever had. <laughs> uh, so he is arguing with arguing with Tim's, or as I like to call him, Doctor Compromised Ethics, about the fate of one of their test chimps. Yeah, the the this other guy looks like the empath from Fringe. Well, he is. Uh, um, isn't is doesn't isn't he on Breaking Bad? 
Oh, that one. Sorry, I was thinking of I was thinking of the the bald fella. Oh wait, no, no, you're right, you're right. I'm thinking of the director later. He the director later is a young Hank Schrader. Yes, that's right. Uh, But no, yeah, I've seen this guy somewhere before too, and I can't I can't specifically recall where. I was wondering if it was Fringe actually, because it's it's not just the fact that they both don't have hair. It's like they've got similar face from what I remember of Fringe. Uh, Mark Bringelson is his name. Uh, he was in Austin Powers as Andy Warhol. Oh, I uh, remember but, that. But yeah, no, it looks like his career just, he didn't do a whole lot of acting after this. Hmm. Uh, a few movies over the years in very small roles. I don't know why he looks so familiar then, because... Probably because I've seen this movie so many fucking times. Maybe. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, but uh, Tim's wants him to increase dosages of aggression drugs that are being used to test this chimp. Right. I instantly. This is where they instantly umbrella this up, where I'm like, you've got something that can enhance intelligence, and yet you still want to go with this whole weapon thing. Never mind the fact. You can imagine many military applications for smart animals that could think tactically. They don't need the aggression thing. Yeah. It's very much this whole, if you've got the technology to build a life-size Tokyo underground in Russia, why are you still trying to sell zombie drugs? (laughs) It's like, you've got a chimp smartener. Do something with the chimp smartener. And they're like, no, 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 fuck all that. Let's make them angry. We need our chip to be enraged. Yeah. Uh, the, it, it is is strange to think that you couldn't still train the chip to be aggressive without using drugs to make the chimp aggressive. Yeah. You're making what it is it with these? What is it with these generic military companies always <laughs> wanting just aggression? That's not good. Do none of them know what happens to corn berserkers in Warhammer 40,000? Well, that's the problem. They They chew each other's faces off. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So they, they want these aggression drugs to make them more effective with their virtual reality battle helmets, which... <laughs> this whole thing is starting off on some shaky ground, I think. Uh, but uh, those he little does... plastic safety helmets. But he, but uh, Larry doesn't want to do this because the chimp has been exhibiting behavioral differences. You mean apart from getting incredibly smart for a chimp? Like, how would you know? That's the other thing. Adding the aggression just just introduces more variables into the experiment. Lock down the smart chimp shit first. Exactly. You've got a smart chimp. The amount of money you can make off just one smart chimp is enough. One. I mean, the talk show circuit alone for yeah. that smart chimp. Big bucks. Hello, Ricky Lake. I got a smart chimp. Very timely talk show reference. Yeah. I mean, what what are they going to say on the other end? Oh, that sounds interesting. A smart chimp. It can play chess. Brilliant. How angry is it? <laughs> not not angry enough. Goodbye. 
<laughs> We've got a pissed off horse that we're bringing in on Wednesday. <laughs> well, this is before Jerry Springer and every animal had to start a fight on stage. <laughs> before Tori Amos. Uh <laughs> So in a virtual reality environment, we're shown the chimp performing this battle simulation and kicking all sorts of ass. And then we get credits. And after some credits, we see the chimp using a piece of wire to pick the lock on its cage. And then activating its battle helmet, which, again, now, (laughs) very umbrella. Why is the chip wearing the battle helmet <laughs> in the cage? Oh, God. Like, I'm not a scientist. I can't claim to know biology, uh, digital technology, uh, making chimps smart. Take the killer helmet off the chimp when you're done with it. <laughs> it's not glued on. I, I Yeah, I would think not. <laughs> uh, so the chimp locates a guard and acquires their gun, shooting the guard in the head and taking his key card. And then guided by the helmet, it avoids threats and finds the exit to the facility, only to be shot in the back by a cunning security officer. When I remember this scene being like really effective when I watched it as a young man. And I still think it works. Like, especially as a like a way to sort of kick off a film, it it's pretty effective, and you you sort of have a sense of sympathy for the animal it's already established, and uh, and it he's violently shot. It's it's yeah. it's a well edited little scene. I like it. Um, Doctor Bond Larry awakes in a cold sweat. War footage on the television and a copy of the novelization of Dr. Strangelove next to the TV. Could this be a little more heavy handed? Maybe. Maybe a smidge. I do think it's interesting. The 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 Dr. Strangelove next to the TV, not because it's a heavy handed reference to mankind allowing science and war to get away from him, causing the destruction of humanity, which, of course, that's very obviously why it's there. Of course. I think it's interesting because in order to have that reference, they had to use the novelization (laughs) of the film, Dr. Strangelove, which exists as a separate entity from the novel on which Dr. Strangelove is based. Mm -hmm. That is a different book. um, And the original author, the author of that book, along with Kubrick, in terms of when they made the changes that became Dr. Strangelove, he rewrote that story as its own novel. And it was published. And I think that that's kind of interesting because as a sort of a view into what this is as a film, The Lawnmower Man, in that it is a film that is borrowing on the name of a Stephen King short story, The Lawnmower Very Man. Very true. That has and nothing to do with any of this film. No. Uh, that's it, about a man who takes his clothes off and eats grass. It began life as a script called Cyber God. 
and New Line Cinema, which owned the film rights to Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man, saw that it had a gardener in it and said, we'll change a couple other things in the script to make it more, you know, Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man-y. It's cynicism on an impressive level. And, and they do add a couple of little things that are, you know, significant, that exist in that short story. But it is an incredibly different story. And, um, and to the point where... There is no scene in The Lawnmower Man where Job takes his clothes off and eats grass. <laughs> there is not. There is not. And I wonder if they thought that they would get away with it on the basis that... Uh, that uh, the, the the Dark Tower, the first book that the gunslinger has people eating grass. And he's like, ah, grass eating is just a thing. You know, we don't need it. There's plenty of grass eating elsewhere in Stephen King's universe. We don't want to be too closely tied to that. Um, but uh, no, the it's to the point where after seeing the film, King took legal action against New Line Cinema. Yeah, I mean, it's no wonder he hates most films based on his work. Requesting, well, he requested that it, you know, his name be removed because of how, you know, it just didn't represent what the story was. And yeah. he won. I think that's and fair enough because I, it really is, it is nothing to do with his fucking story. I agree. It has almost nothing to do with the lawnmower man. However, it does bear a lot of similarities to a bunch of to elements from a lot of other Stephen King stories. And I think structurally, cinematically, it is as much a Stephen King-style movie in the vein of other films adapted from Stephen King properties as just about anything else yeah. made. It, it is easy but it, to understand. You, you, can't just, you can't just copy Stephen King and then claim it is from right. Stephen King. Right, exactly, yes. <laughs> That's that is, what they tried to do. That, that was their happened. caper. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they... It is a it's it's a well made fraud. You know you can hang it up in a in a a gallery of other Stephen King <laughs> film adaptations. A gallery of frauds. I mean, it's not even it doesn't even feel as out of place in the you know world of Stephen King adaptations as Kubrick's The Shining does. <laughs> and it at least bears the connection of both taking place in a old hotel. <laughs> Yeah. With a writer's character, uh, despite being otherwise very, very different. Um, but yeah, so interesting stuff to that. <coughs> Larry lights a smoke in bed and changes the channel. And also notable, not a lot of characters we see in movies smoking. No, no. They kind of, well, a lot of that has been, they don't want to be seen endorsing cigarettes these days. Yeah. But Back he, in the day, you'd see a cigarette on telly every three minutes. Yep, and there it's it's throughout this. He's just uh, quite the smoker. Uh, he tries to change the channel, but war is on every channel. Very subtle, very subtle. And this was yeah. all going on, you know, a couple of years after Desert Storm. Uh, war as entertainment was a topic of discussion. Yeah, and the eighties and nineties. Both had a big hard on for military corporations as the baddie. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it was always the corporation is going to do X evil thing, usually about, you know, weapons of some kind. He rolls over to wake his wife to try to tell her about his nightmare, but she just gives him shit for smoking in bed, which, yeah. Fair dues, fair yeah, dues. That's not a good idea. I, I, I've done it. It's dangerous and stupid. Don't smoke in bed. Don't smoke, but... It's a, it's a dirty habit. But it's if a you're dirty, gonna smoke, dirty don't, habit. Don't do it in your bed. Then your no, you bed... get ash on yourself yeah. and not on the mattress. Yeah, and you wind up with holes in your sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Larry goes to look out his window and smoke his cigarette and watch his neighbor assault his wife when the phone rings. And it's the office telling his, telling him that his chimp escaped. So it wasn't a dream that he was having of his chimp escaping and being shot. Yeah, we don't find out what he was dreaming about. Probably war. Probably. The digital display of the battle helmet identifies a church, and we see behind it a small shed from which a man in overalls emerges with a heavily emoted stretch. Cut to the office where Larry is arguing with Tim's again, pulling a big I told you so, and saying that the chimp, Roscoe, is just doing what they programmed it to do. But because they've never applied their skills outside of a virtual environment, nobody can predict what the chimp will do. Yeah. I I don't want to say that this is a very early, incredibly prescient statement on the internet, and <laughs> but Roscoe, the chimp, observes this simple man from a tree, the helmet identifying him as a threat and commanding Roscoe to take action, despite the man's offer of strawberries. And when Roscoe leaps down from the tree... This simple man, his name is Job, identifies him as Cyboman, a comic book character that he loves and observes that he's bleeding. And the battle helmet, scanning for pupillary response, reclassifies Job as a non-threat, and Roscoe stands down just as helicopters begin circling overhead. Identifying these correctly as bad guys, Job offers to hide Roscoe in his shed, and eventually the helicopter leaves. And that's a film. Let me just say right there, that is a film premise. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This unassuming lawnmower man protecting his smart monkey friend from the evil military corporation. That in itself is at least 90 minutes. This could have gone in a total short circuit meets Turner and Hooch direction. <laughs> yes. Short Hooch. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Yeah, oh, every time, every time. Job tells Roscoe a little about himself, uh, that he has a mechanical aptitude and he mows a good lawn, hence his nickname, The Lawnmower Man. Hey, that's the name of the movie. Yeah, they've justified what they've done. He suggests that the church is another place that they could hide since God lives there. And he shows Roscoe his Cyboman comic books, which he notes that he can't actually read. He can just get the story from looking at the pictures. Inside the church, the priest, angry at Job for shirking his pest control duties. <laughs> he is really into spraying these. Like, he takes oh yeah, great delight. This guy is, again, a good performance 
certainly the kind of over-the-top thing that this movie calls for, and he delivers it. Uh, he comes to the shed and observes Roscoe through the window and calls the fuzz. And soon, the shed is surrounded by VSI security, and Larry pleads to be allowed to negotiate the surrender since Job happens to be his gardener and Roscoe's his research subject. It's all going great until Roscoe's training kicks in and he attempts to escape, jumping off of Job and climbing onto the roof of the shed into a tree before being riddled with bullets by the security Really team. quite like Robocop levels of riddling. Yeah, it's graphic. Job is understandably freaked out, and the priest, who says that Job has been here since he was a kid and is mentally challenged, and then notes, oh, you, these VSI people, they're doing unholy research up there at their compound. Uh, but Tim's Dr. Compromised Ethics offers a healthy donation for his silence, which the priest accepts. And he drags a wailing Job away. Yep. So, no good people here yet. Uh, in the shed... Job is too good for this sinful earth. He is. And the priest tells Job he's never to tell anyone, including the priest's brother, Terry, who uh, Job works for. And then he beats the lesson into him with a belt. Seeming pretty unnecessarily. The guy's already yeah. traumatized. Here's the thing, right? And if I ever meet a movie character in real life, <laughs> I, I will offer this advice to them. It was exactly what I was thinking when I was watching this. And it's what I've thought in several movies. If you're a movie character and you're listening to this, if you're looking after someone with developmental challenges, you don't have to hit them. You don't have to. But movie characters keep thinking they gotta. You could just look after them. Yeah. I... They keep thinking they gotta. I mean, obviously, this extends to real life as well. Anyone who's looking <laughs> after someone who's developmentally challenged, you don't got to hit them. You it, shouldn't. You, yeah, you should not. It, it should not be an option on the table, really. Movie characters especially always think they got to. You don't have to. There are other options. That night, Larry declares the loss of his chimp as the low point of his life and laments the defense contractors interference in his project and fuck the bastards he says the next morning terry picks up job for work and discovers that he had to do a hell of a lot of hail marys uh from a chalkboard that he has there but he's also finished work on his mower overnight big red and he marvels at job's mechanical abilities big red is an intimidating fucking lawnmower Oh, it's massive. It, it's going to fuck you up. It's a big motherfucker, and it's beautiful, and it is something that is clearly beloved uh, by the character, and, and, and I, I and wish... And terrible to behold. Yeah, yeah. It's... That's a good prop that they have there. Yeah. Uh, Larry tries to turn in his resignation at VSI, but Tim's warms, warns him off saying he can't take his research anywhere because the contractor owns it all. And he implies even that the government might kill him before he then turns around and calls Larry paranoid for suggesting that. <laughs> uh, so Larry decides to take a hiatus. Terry and Joe make a stop for gas, and 
and after Job is intimidated by Jake, who's the son of the station owner, who then proceeds to have drinks with Terry out of a flask, another local arrives and starts asking around about the, the ruckus that had occurred at the church. This is apparently a small community, um, something that's emphasized by Larry a couple of times in the, the story. Despite the beating from the priest, Job reveals what happened. So you see, clearly, you don't, you don't got to hit him. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. You don't got to hit him. Yeah, you don't got to. Uh, he, he's, and he's not believed anyway because he's still mistaking Roscoe for this Cyboman comic book character. And, you know, why would anyone believe that from him? Duh. You don't got to hit him. Tim's has a meeting with uh, future Hank Schrader, the director of the shop, who seems pretty confident Dr. Bond's going to be back doing his science for evil military applications. And, and meanwhile, Larry's at home chilling in virtual reality, hanging from a chair and pretending to fall in his basement. I guess that's neat. But his wife comes in and switches it off pissed that he hasn't taken her into the city like he promised and he's real apologetic and real horny and assumes that this form of attention is going to suffice like that's an adequate substitute for going out socially and giving his atten- his wife his undivided attention away from work and living their lives together It doesn't pan out that way. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't go that way. And I think this is just a, this is a dumb man thing <laughs> happening yeah. here. Uh, she feels what abandoned. What gets me about this scene is she, she's angry about the falling and the flying, and is like, "What next? Fucking!" Like she's angry that he's going to start just fucking pretend people in virtual reality. Right. When it's more likely he's just going to fuck the monkeys. <laughs> because he's clearly romantically involved with them. Clearly. I'm not inferring that. It's explicit. <laughs> <laughs> well, she feels abandoned because he's just too absorbed yeah. in his work. Yeah. Uh, outside, Job is mowing Larry's lawn. And he's approached by the neighbor kid, Peter Parkett the son of the couple with the domestic dispute that Larry was watching earlier. And they're friends. Peter's mom invites Job over for Kool-Aid. Job gives Peter a special comic book, but not the 3D glasses, because he doesn't have them, he doesn't understand their function. Now, you got to remember here, in case you hadn't, it's not firmly enough established for you as a viewing audience member, Job has some mental challenges. After watching from the window with a glass of whiskey like a real fucking creep, Larry steps outside, and Peter asks if they can play a game. But before they could do that, Peter's dad comes home and knocks over the kid's bike and then slaps the kid around a bit while calling Job a moron. He is a good guy. Very subtle characterization. Uh, Later... Larry records another audio diary, and he's wondering why Roscoe was chill with Job when his wife comes downstairs and announces, hey, you know what, I'm going to go out without you because clearly you're not going out, and maybe you should drink less. 
which he acknowledges is good advice, before continuing to throw himself this pity party about his work. Yeah. And seemingly had enough, his wife just leaves with him protesting in the driveway. And this is observed by Mrs. Parquet, who's also doing a bit of drinking. And the two have a nice little conversation about Peter, who Dr. Bond... And I, I call I do eventually stop calling him Dr. Bond in this, but I just he's Pierce Brosnan. I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, Remington Steel was another thing I thought I'd toss in, which, as we may recall, calls back to our Chasing Ghost episode where Christopher Steele chose his name based on oh, yeah. Remington Steele. It's all coming together. This is the uh, Tommy Westfall spinoff Doctor's universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's uh, talking to her about Peter, and uh, uh, he, Larry expresses an interest in having kids, but he also has the wholly realistic and responsible understanding that he is too invested in his work to provide the kind of emotional support and presence that a child requires. So Miss Parkett says she can just borrow Peter whenever he wants. He just told you he should not have kids. And you just, ah, well, can't be worse than my husband. Well. (laughs) Which is probably true. I mean, Big Red the lawnmower would be safer to be around children (laughs) than that particular character. Job and Terry stop for lunch at a diner where Job is again threatened and humiliated by Jake. Yeah, uh, if if you're a if you're a character in a movie and you're not looking after someone with developmental challenges, you don't have to bully them in the street. They you, keep thinking they got her. If there is one in your community somewhere, right? And and you see them and somebody is not verbally abusing them or physically abusing them in some way. That is not an absence. It's not a, a, a job you need to perform. It is not a public yeah. service. You don't got to jump in and <laughs> save the day. <laughs> uh, and, but Joe, he's back there at the comic books with the other kids and Jake comes out of the bathroom and barks at him and laughs at him and it's really... It feels like even an unnecessary scene in this film at this point, but there it is. Uh, mean, and nobody in the diner says anything either to prevent this. This is just allowed behavior, and it's only after he leaves that Terry's like, oh, if I were 10 years younger, well, you know, fuck you, Terry. No. Meanwhile, Larry's all frustrated that he never got to the human trial stage of his experiment. <laughs> And laments, Relatable. He laments his need to keep working when, hey, there's Job outside mowing his lawn again. And after some more long, longing stares from the porch, <laughs> Larry invites Job in to play some video games. This is, I think, the start of what could have been a much more interesting narrative subplot for the priest-Job-Angelo relationship, these three characters. Because the the priest, later in the film, has a problem with this arrangement that is made. 
And there is totally an undercurrent of Larry being in romantic love with his work. That right. could very easily have been misinterpreted by oh, a no, highly pious get... outsider as him taking advantage of Joe yeah. possibly in a sexual manner. Like there's there's so many layers that could have been explored in this, or mis, you know, misconceptions and preconceived notions that it I don't think I don't want them to have shoved more into this already overlong movie. Yeah. But it feels like it could have been better leveraged. Well, well, they had to get back to the CGI. The cutting, the bleeding edge CGI <laughs> a year before Jurassic Park. Uh, so Joe plays this uh, simple matching puzzle, which he fails twice before succeeding. I might have failed at this. This thing's confusing. I don't understand what he's doing with it. We don't get enough screen time <laughs> with it. I might be Just sympathetic to Joe. Not worth thinking here. about. Yeah. Uh, he goes from this to immediately cut to a VR jet glider game, which he sucks at. And the neighborhood kid kicks his ass so bad that the kid actually seems to feel guilty about it. Uh, this game was later used as one of the action stages in the follow-up games based on The Lawnmower Man. Uh, now, it was a big part of the... Super Nintendo version. Uh, I think there might have been a Sega Genesis version also. And, you know, these it was presented as sort of top-down shooter stages. Yeah. This is back when movies had tie-in games all of the time. Oh, yeah. You rarely see it now. If you see a licensed thing, it's usually its own thing. Yeah, it's already a really established property. Yeah. And not... Back in the day, even Lawnmower Man got a game. Well, and then it had a, like, a Philips CDI game and a PC game that uh, played very differently uh, but still had this element in it as sort of an action stage that you would use this glider. But it was really shitty, really shitty. And uh, but attempted to use, you know, like 3D computer graphics, but wound up really just being more digitized video crap than anything. Yeah. Um, there was a the second one is the one that I had bought and played. And it really like. It stood out, for one thing, on the shelf. I think I did recognize it as being related to The Lawnmower Man when I bought it. But it came in a, uh, a vinyl record folio thing, uh, style packaging, which mm -hmm. at, at the time was uncommon. Years prior to that, in the early, early days of disc distribution, lots of things were sold in this sort of vinyl-type packaging. And then that went out of vogue, and uh, CD was big then, and, and Cyber War was the name of the second game, and it came on four, it came with four CD discs. And so they had it all in a package with these little laid out with their individual clips in this vinyl thing. It was a really beautiful package. And the fourth the game's just utter dog shit. Just terrible. Absolutely awful. Uh, but I played it and played it and played it trying to make it not be awful. Like, keep, you know, thinking to myself, if I can just, like, make some progress, there will come a point where it ceases to be awful. Not true. Awful the whole way through. Except for the soundtrack. It, this wound up being my first real introduction to ambient techno. 
The Cyber War soundtrack surprisingly solid. Hmm. Uh, if you can find it, and apparently the game is now. I bet YouTube's got the soundtrack. Oh, I'm sure it does, and and the the game itself is now a collector's item. It's long to dustbin for me, but um, weird and ugly. And look at some videos. It, it was very Dragon's Larry in its input, uh, and just very easy to fail in, and not uh, not friendly to the player at all. Just just absolute crap. Anyway, uh, so Larry suggests that Joe might have uh, better luck with some other games, games that he's designed that could make Joe even smarter. Special games that he can't tell anyone about that would give him the intelligence to not be taken advantage of in the way that Larry is outright taking advantage of him in this very scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is basically finding someone without agency for human experimentation. And he is telling the person that he is doing this act so that this act that he is doing can no longer be done to him. Yeah, I think that's part of what Dr. Bond gets off on. Is flaunting what he's doing in front of his victims. <laughs> Larry bribes the priest to let Job come help remodel his house. And after a thorough physical that, at the very least, involved listening to Job's heart, Larry deems him as healthy as an ox, shoots him up with nootropic no drugs and puts him in a lounge chair with a VR helmet and starts zapping his brains with lights and symbols. <laughs> Later, in an audio Relatable. diary... Yeah, oh yeah, super. Later, in this audio diary, Larry says that the results are good and it's too late to turn back. Those two statements could be separate. The results yeah. could be good and you could stop. Yeah, at any point you can stop. And what many no points, one's making he does you do stop. this. And yeah. On a lunch break, Job is spotted by a woman named Marnie, who eats a totally not symbolic peach. I swear to God, this is all the symbolism of a standard Stephen King story. This n- <laughs> Why wouldn't you put your name on this, Steve? You practically wrote it. <laughs> If not literally. Well, yeah, she is, she's practically out of the Tommyknockers. Yeah. Um, There's a made-for-TV movie people don't talk about. Damn right, Ed, for reasons. <laughs> Too late, Ralph! That's stuck with me since childhood. Uh, research continues on, on Job, and Job's doing great until he's not, and he has a seizure. Larry thinks he has it under control, though. And decides he's going to keep pushing forward. Spent that whole movie waiting to see the Tommy knockers and they barely appear. Job's reading a book when Terry shows up, followed by the priest, who's a real dick to Job about the whole book thing. Like, strangely a dick. You would think, oh, well, now he'll be able to read the Bible might be a, a positive turn of events for this guy. But he just seems intent on keeping Job... As a child. Uh, Terry, his brother, sticks up for Job. 
Job's unwilling to stand up for himself. So to solve the problem, where Terry's brother is concerned that education will cause Job to stray from the straight and narrow, and also likely because he's drunk, Terry elects to teach to elects to teach Job how to drive. <laughs> Just tosses him the keys. Why not? We've, we're, what we're witnessing here is very responsible science. In the glider, it's all science. Oh, it's all science. In the glider game, Job's gotten a lot better and actually beats Peter. Soon, he's admiring himself, shirtless, in a reflective piece of metal in his shack, trying yeah, to. It's, I found this interesting because it's like the movie is waiting until he's just intelligent enough for it to be okay for people to basically want to mac on him. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and I think it, it's, it's like. Is he smart enough to be sexy now? Yep, get that shirt off, Faye. Yeah, is he smart enough to be aware of his own attractiveness and to identify what is considered culturally attractive? Yeah. That's... At some point, at some point, they want him to bone down and they need to establish he's smart enough for it to be okay first. That's what this whole scene's about. Yeah, exactly. The smarter you are, the more shirtless you can be. It's a rule. <laughs> Uh, well, the priest walks in on this and berates him, but Job calls him out on this invasion of his privacy and personal space. Like, hey, he really is getting pretty smart. He's getting woke quick. Uh, the, the priest first blames Angelo for this, uh, uh, turn of events, Larry, and then reaches for the belt, but Job takes the belt from him and tells him he shouldn't hit people. It's not nice. Uh, so he, the priest leaves in a huff and... And Job goes back to uh, admiring himself. Larry shows his results to Tim's, saying he's refined their previous formula without the aggression factors included. And Larry's hoping that Tim's will let him use the facilities at VSI to continue the work that he's done with Job. And Tim's is pretty impressed, but he's the reticent. impressive work. The impressive work that again already at this level has amazing military applications and already has incredibly violated <laughs> almost every ethical standard under which science is yes. supposed to be performed. Like Very true. They are both already where the other wants them to be. <laughs> <laughs> and they just can't see That's it. perfect. You're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, oh, dear. So Larry practically begs, concocting a scheme by which he gets the research publishable and that the shop won't be able to do anything about it because it'll already be in public. And Tim's uh, agrees to this, <laughs> saying that there, there's probably a way to pull that off. He's our, the protagonist. Yeah, our, he's, Frost he's our the hero. protagonist in this. <laughs> it's like, you might think it's Job. And it should be Job. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah, it's this guy. This this it's is the Brosnan. guy. It's Brosnan. He's a flawed it's... hero. <laughs> a flawed hero. He's fucking evil. <laughs> He's an evil scientist who has sex with monkeys and takes advantage of people. Performs human experiments. Shoots up people with fucking magic mushrooms and flares symbols in their eyes. And despite all of the evidence, 
indicating he should stop does not at any time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marnie... He smokes in bed. <sighs> Burn the house down. Yeah. Marnie pulls up at the gas station and asks Jake to check her fluids again. Mm. Right out of a Stephen King. And oh. she spots Job's sweet keister in a tight pair of new, of new jeans. Looking good in that denim. And she doesn't believe him when he says that he's the lawnmower man, but she sure is looking forward to getting her lawn done now. Huh? Uh, 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 uh. Terry is thrilled for Job. But Jake blows it off, thinks that she's just toying with him. And this eventually develops into a dispute when Jake mistakes Terry's positive outlook regarding the widow Marnie's publicly known interest in many sexual partners as demeaning in some way, likely due to a deeply embedded patriarchal ideology having been nurtured within Jake from a very young age, leading to the kind of hypermasculine behavior we see him behave at the, uh, display at the very suggestion of an empowered woman. And after he hits Job, Job's look says everything. Heading to VSI... Job Very comment. well done, by the way. Very Thank you. well done. Thank you. Heading to VSI, Job comments to Larry that he thinks people are noticing that he's going to, through some changes. It's, you know, getting getting hair in places he didn't used to have it. Or at least fixing up the hair in the places he already had. You think he's shaving now? Maybe. I mean, it was the I 90s. Mean... It was the time at which all pubic hair uh, <laughs> needed to be removed. You know, a simpler time. <laughs> The great pube cull of 91. <laughs> the shavening. <laughs> St- Stephen King's The Shavening. Well, and I suspect he was probably just as skilled at trimming the nut sack as he would be doing a lot. Uh, similar I principles. mean, he's. I, I think he's smart at this point enough to have made a little red for the job. <laughs> So uh, oh, the they're, lawnmower man. they're driving to uh, to to the thing, and, and, and Job asks if Larry's gonna do the same thing to Job that he did to the chip. And Job, good is, question. It's an excellent question. Job has. Job is really getting smart. Not that smart yet. Because no, he he's he's not really ready to finish the thought. He's not quite that aware of what's going on around him. Because he then asks if they're going to kill him, too. And, and, and he's kind of joking. Because he doesn't, you know, really believe that they might do that. And Larry does not explicitly rule this out. <laughs> <laughs> when explaining that Roscoe's project was aimed at military applications. Like, he blows off the question of, are they going to kill me? It goes on to elucidate that they are that he used to work for some very bad people. <laughs> Real good. A little a little bit of information withholding there as he does not confess that he is also very bad people. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and he may not he's not aware. He's like, I worked for very bad people, but now I'm very bad on an independent basis. <laughs> I'm freelance bad. <laughs> Self-employed evil. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The hours are great, but the government takes 40%. (laughs) Uh, Larry shows Job around the lab, says it's super advanced. He's a soul perpetuator. (laughs) 
He shows Joe around the lab saying it's all super advanced and they'll wear full body suits and spin around in gyroscopes. And, uh, and boy, he, he just he feels like he's discovering a world that he's inventoring, inventing instead of discovering. That is an actual line from this movie that Pierce Brosnan allowed to come forth from his <laughs> lips. I'm discovering a world that I'm inventing instead of discovering. Yeah. That should have been caught in the editing process somewhere. Someone should have looked at that and said, nobody ever talks like this. No. Uh, Larry zaps Job's braid with that good shit, while Tim's observes. Later, mowing Marnie's lawn, Job can hear a voice. But it, And it's Marnie's voice, but she's not speaking. She's just wearing her pajamas and holding a tray of lemonade on a balcony. Terry encourages Job to go, like you would. Mm-hmm. And, and Marnie introduces Job in the ways of physical intimacy. I think that the filmmakers thought that this, this scene should be and is sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, well, it's like a certain scene in Teen Witch that they think should be romantic. And I think that the character is trying to indicate that this is a this is a bit of a kinky thrill for her to have this guy, this lump, uh, literally lump of clay, with which to sculpt. I think that's what's trying to come across here. I think the main problem is. Dr. Bond also feels that way. Yes, he does. And and also... So it's very dark. I don't... Th- I cannot imagine a, a woman finding a man this sexually inexperienced and finding that aspect of it arousing. You never know. I'm sure they're out there. I don't want to yuck any yums as a McElroy might say. But, God, that's that's more alien to me than almost anything else in this. Because I can't imagine trying to, like, work with a partner from scratch at this point. Like, start to start from go. It would take a lot of energy. A horrible experience for a long time, yeah. I would think. Uh, of course, he's very smart and picks up on it right away. Now, so... Obviously. Uh, So Larry's getting some cold feet now, suddenly, about the treatments. And he wants to hold back, citing the earlier seizure. You know, the one that didn't prevent him from just moving on ahead with the treatment at VSI. That one. Now he's concerned about it. So he yeah, said, that's like when you're fired for something that happened six months ago, but they can't fire you for the thing you did a day ago. That would cause a tribunal. I was just listening to an episode of The Dollop about uh, Wells Fargo and their predatory loan stuff, and they actually did that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they actually they fired someone and then retroactively fired them six months earlier, having found. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen instances where that's happened. It's happened to people I know. It's bullshit. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, you let them get away with it up to that point, own up, and just like. 
It's almost like they store things like that just in case they want to fire you for something else. I mean, that's not to say I think that that person deserved the millions and millions of dollars that they effectively stole during that time either. Mm. Well, what can you do? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the people I know that it happened to didn't do that. You're right. Yes. Yeah. They yeah. do that bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, but they, yeah, they yeah. were probably actually aggrieved. Sure. Yeah. But that might be what Dr. Bond is doing here. Like, he takes notes of seizures, and then it's like, okay, I can refer back to these like a Windows restore point um, to, <laughs> so that I don't feel guilty about stopping it because I don't like that he's getting smarter than me. He sets Job up with some edutainment software instead. This is a technology that also never really caught on. The eye tracker and the the mouse. I mean, it's it's still used in a lot of scientific applications, but it's certainly not a popular interface for no. users. The People a- using Carter nowadays. The air That's mouse. That's how they learn things. The air mouse was an interesting idea. The idea of not having to have your mouse on a surface. Yeah. Not a good one, but an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, like uh, a lot of ideas. So, let's see. Oh, yeah, so Job flies through this. He learns almost the entire recorded history of Man. Oh, yeah. He goes full Johnny Five Short Circuit on this one. Yeah, right up to the American Revolution, and this takes a few hours. And it disturbs him. But his retention, as tested by Larry, is perfect. And Larry suggests that maybe Job might like to, I don't know, take some time to appreciate some of the information that he's collecting and examine it and draw some conclusions. But Job feels that that's obsolete thinking. And, and I can't help but think about like these kids that come onto the internet and have just limitless access to all sorts of information, tons and tons of mm. information. And they, they lack the the wisdom and the maturity to assess that information in the context of other things. Never has knowledge been so fast, but mine so small. Exactly. And you know, and then this this is really just warning of that. That that is you know the yeah. The whole thing yeah. is that, that progress and knowledge and, and, and information is valuable, but without the wisdom to approach it with care, it's dangerous. That's yeah. the, the main problem premise. here is it's coming from Dr. Bond, who is being very hypocritical about yep. this, who yes. has used all of his knowledge and none of his wisdom. <laughs> and Job feels like this is all obsolete thinking that, that he's you know, operating under. So Job drives Peter to the diner like a maniac, listening to short bursts of different genres of music, claiming to get what he needs out of the samples. That's a bit bollocks. Yep. That's You can't do that. He more or less says like he can fill in the blanks in his head. You can't. You don't know what they're going to say next. And once they get to the diner... You're not Sherlock. And once he gets to the diner, he, he skips his normal behavior of heading straight for the comic book rack... And he tells Peter, to the child's amazement, that he's given up the comic books and is gifting his entire collection to him. This is the first 
really noticeable instance as I recognize it in the film of this movie being critical of other forms of entertainment. And, you know, it, it's suggesting that Job has grown out of comic books. That comic I'd books, say I didn't take that interpretation. Comic books to me, it was more like him abandoning things. Okay. I mean, I could see that. It's like it, it was a, the, the comics were such a defining part of Job. And I can't believe I'm talking like this as if I'm offering serious critique. Well, no, but, it's, um, but the comics were a defining aspect of Job. He relates so much of the world to Cyboman and these comics he loves. And then he instantly can discard all of it. That was my interpretation. But I understand where you're coming from on it as well. Well, and I, I bring it up now also because there's a later point where I think the film also does this. And it mm-hmm. kind of bugs me. Just a smidge. And, you know... Well, Lawnmower Man's in no position to criticise other forms of entertainment. No, no, it's not. It's it, not that good a film. Uh, so, while Peter goes to get these comics from the truck, Job has an episode where he begins clutching his head because he's hearing the thoughts of everyone in the diner. And most of the people are thinking about how weird he's acting. Peter comes back in with a, a handful of comics. Like, there's like four or five comics there. Does this really constitute Job's entire collection? That's kind of sad. I feel I feel for him. Um, Job rushes out, and he heads off to see Larry, passing uh, Larry's wife on the way in, and reading her thoughts that he's probably jacking it off to his computers. <laughs> Again, she's in the right ballpark, mm-hmm. but she's not thinking chimpy enough. <laughs> So Job explains what happened to Larry, and Larry's excited at the development because he always expected that this technology would be the key to unlocking telepathic abilities. But he promises Job that they'll figure it out. And Job then hears Larry thinking about how this all needs to be kept on the down low, and particularly from Tim's. Speaking of Tim's, Larry updates him on Job's progress, in terms of learning ability at least, and Tim's urges him to present his uh, findings to get some government funding. But Larry says he's not ready. Cut to Tim's telling the director of the shop that he's totally going to get Larry to present this in person soon, <laughs> clearly having kept him up to speed the whole time. And the doctor wants them to resume testing with the original formula with the adre- aggression factors in him on Job. And he pre- I mean, that's... I'm facepalming at this point. I'm like, you've got, ev- you've got more than enough. Oh, yeah. And again, they always want the aggression in there. Fucking idiots. And so he pressures Tim's to persuade Larry to do this. But Tim's decides it's just easier to swap out the formulas in the fridge and change the computer program. I mean, it's not like they're a completely different color. It's not like that would be something I would observe as Larry, you know, performing my science. All right, I got to pee. I'll be right back. All right. Well, Comcast's fucking me around, so... Again, editing this might be difficult because I've got not much time in the day because of cutouts and things. So I might keep it in. I might do that, which is why I'm talking now. I don't know why I'm whispering, but... 
we're talking about Lawnmower Man, in case you haven't worked out. It's just, it's going to save me time later that I don't have, because everything I've been doing is delayed between YouTube fucking up and Comcast since last bloody week. And I haven't stopped. And we're locked into a contract with them because America. But I might take some money I've been doing on this, like, freelancey stuff, like Cultaholic stuff and all that. Um, and just pay for the fibre. Like, it's, it's not throwing good money after bad, it's spending good money after bad. If that makes sense. It might not, but fibre's in the area now. And I've had enough of this. Um, but anyway, um, what else can I... Hello. 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 Decided not to stop, what? just going to leave that bathroom break in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ain't got time to edit. Between YouTube and Comcast, my schedule's been pushed back hours and hours. Oh, nightmare. Yeah, I need to just throw this out and be done with it and then get off the computer and drink. So, Larry is... Uh... Oh, okay. So, yeah. So he's changed this this program, and Larry gives Job another testing session, and Job has this massive seizure, saying that he touched God as Larry pulls him out. And Larry's like super confused as to what went wrong. I don't know. Did you look at the color of the solution that you were injecting into your dude here? And he decides to stop treatment again. Meanwhile, Job continues his relationship with Marnie. Uh, waking up in her bed at night, he goes to the bathroom and he moves a drinking glass with his mind. Later opening the medicine chest and wasting a bunch of toothpaste. Uh, okay. So, I don't see what Stephen King's problem is. They've made Carrie. <laughs> at, at VSI, Larry finds Job listening right to... Right down to the religious abuse. Oh yeah, yeah, it's all here. Uh, Larry finds Job listening to, and I have this in quotes, uh, hard rock, I think is what you'd call it. Job's impatient with the lack of further progress on their research. Also, he wants to manifest boils on his skin. <laughs> he does. <laughs> which, which, that he does. And it takes like 40 seconds of the film for him to manifest boils. Very cartoony. Halloween store prop boils. Yeah. This whole seed feels completely unnecessary and drags out, but... Yeah. Uh, watching an ad for a phone sex line at Marnie's, he hears her thinking about wanting to get some serious freak on tonight, so he tells her he can read her mind and takes her to VSI. And they go into VR together and merge together into a dragonfly for a bit. Then she gets freaked out by the environment that she doesn't totally understand, and she's all, like, stuck in what he calls his, their, their primal something, I don't know, primal mind. And all of this is, like, you know, worse than Rise of the Robots. It's very, very, very early stage CG, yeah. Yeah. And Job turns into what looks like a rejected character design from Our Real Monsters. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a horrifying... What is that? I don't know. It's a horrifying fuck monster that he becomes, and he tongue whips the sanity right out of her. Yeah. It's, it's pretty weird. Later, Job stands on Marnie's balcony, mowing his lawn by guiding Big Red telepathically, listening to her endless giggling, and wonders what Larry did to him. Larry is in Tim's office, 
pissed that Tim's has scheduled a presentation in Washington. And then he finds Job in the lab, who's shown up with a surprise. Uh, there to demonstrate his telekinesis with a chair, which Tibbs then also sees from uh, an observation platform. Job explains that he's realized that what they're doing is just accessing parts of the brain that were previously used by conjurers and sorcerers, and that the treatments must continue. See, this is what happens when you have access to all of the information is that you come up with whack-ass conclusions like conjurers and sorcerers existing. Yeah, yeah, and the earth being flat. And conspiracies and... Uh, Fucking corrupt pizza parlors. Larry, fake now... Fake news, this is where fake news started. That bollocks. And Larry now realizes oh, that he's gone too far. But, oh, God, gosh. <laughs> he should have realized that about five movies ago. Gosh darn it. I have to leave town and go present my findings in Washington. <laughs> Why does he go? <laughs> you have just been confronted with the irrefutable existence of telekinetic powers in your research subject that you have been unethically experimenting upon with Almost no oversight and no controls. <laughs> Science. I better go to Washington. Mm-hmm. On the car ride over, Tim's reveals actually there's been a change of plans. They're not, they're not going to Washington. They're going to Virginia. They're going to meet with the shop. Whoops. Yep. So they do that. And the director seems pretty disinterested in the findings related to all the developmental disabilities this could address. And, oh, I don't know the fact that he's made a goddamn genius. Yeah. No, no. He He's not angry enough. He hasn't. He's so dismissive of it. He's taking another phone call, which he then interrupts to tell an underling to ask the thing that he wants to know about the old formula being reapplied. Yeah. Which, again, why would you write that? Nobody would ever do that. Like, he, he, he could just, he's saying the thing. He could just say the thing. He's in the room. He's not even that much further. It was a very desperate attempt to make him look disinterested. He may as well have just done the tell him I'm not talking to him. <laughs> it's that level of infantile. Uh, but uh, he does have, have this underling ask about the change in formula. And this gets Tim's all stammery as he now has to explain to Larry that he's been fucking around with his experiment. And he further reveals then that Job has these other powers not referred to at the report. So, infuriated, Larry leaves. And the director asks him, hey, what about these other powers? <laughs> what do you mean abilities? Job heads to VSI and maybe uses psychic powers to get in? He shoots himself up with a whole heck of a lot of the drugs in the, the fridge there. And gosh, I wonder what's going to happen. What could possibly go wrong? Tim's goes to visit Larry in his hotel. who's just out of a hot shower. And he explains that he smoothed things over with the shop. And it was hard, but he's done it. Larry's not having that shit. 
Tim's tells him that, well, you know, the shop's going to go pick up Job for a personal demonstration. I mean, the horse has left the stable on this. It's going forward. And Larry spots a car pulling up and realizes, oh, shit, I'm about to get got. And he accuses Tim's of having known, which, you know, yeah, duh, of course. Didn't have to be some brilliant scientist to figure that one out. And he punches him out to escape. And in the lobby, he tries to rent a car. But he's constantly stymied by the exceptional customer service, and he leaves without his credit card, drawing attention as the clerk tries to call out to him. He tries going out the back, but gets caught by a guy. And as he's being, you know, escorted to be captured and carried away, he bumps into a room service employee with a bottle of champagne, and he glasses the guard guy, giving his gun to the room service worker. Kay. Once outside, he slips up on a guy who's having a smoke outside his car and steals it. But, you know, it's cool. Director's cool with it because they're on their way to pick up Job anyway. Yeah. Now, the priest wakes up to muttered prayers in the chapel, and it's Job there to punish him. Yeah. And Job's fully, like, dressed up like Tron now. Yeah, yeah, he didn't even bother taking off the, the VR suit yeah. when he left VSI. I like it when sometimes the lines on the suit, like the blue lines, look like they're lighting up. And sometimes it looks like they've just shone a light on the actor in the hopes that the blue lights will reflect enough to look like they're the ones lighting everything up. Yep. Uh, it's no bueno. <laughs> mm. Uh, I mean, that's it. You, they, between this and the boils, they can't even nail the practical effects. Yeah. What were they thinking fucking around with computer graphics? As the priest prays forgiveness for a list of egregious sins, Job lights him on fire with his mind waves. Uh, no, he turns him into a yellow cartoon. Yeah. It's, it's, they used CG fire. And that's your mistake. Like, fire, they're still just getting CG fire to look good. 20 years later, 25. Jesus Christ, 25 years. It looks super bad. Uh, next at the gas station, Joe, uh, Jake is having a smoke. And Job's there with Big Red looking all spooky and backlit. And after Jake taunts him verbally for a, a smidge, Job uses his psychic powers to tie Jake up in the gas pump hoses. And as he begs for mercy... Joe performs some kind of psychic lobotomy on Jake. Represent- yeah, now... <laughs> yeah, go on. He makes a CGI version of his head with a lawnmower blades for a mouth. It just looks like he's tried to swallow a harmonica. And then lawnmowers a CGI version of his brain. Yeah. And that... A cartoon yeah. man with a lawnmower mouth lawnmowers someone's computer animated brain. You see, the, the CGI head appears in Job's eyes and then disappears, and then it reappears in Jake's eyes. Yeah, so you can put cartoons in your head that eat your brain. It, yeah, and, and, and as he says, the uh, one of the two quotable lines of this movie... Lawnmower man's inside your head now, Jake. So there you go. Yeah. Enjoy that. That actually wasn't bad. Uh, of all the terrible lines in the film, that was actually somewhat. As a if it wasn't for the, wasn't for the harmonica mouth lawn mowing of someone's brain, if they'd have done that, 
literally any other way. That would have been a cool scene. Could have worked. Elsewhere, Peter's mom is cleaning up the latest wounds from Peter's latest beating. And downstairs, Dad switches the channel from the war broadcast, the news, whatever that is. It's, it's a war thing. Yep. To wrestling. And this is where I, I kind of take issue with it, is that if we're going to be defining characters based on their entertainment, what are you telling me about wrestling fans? When this asshole a switches the channel things. to wrestling. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Outside, Job psychically puts Peter and his mom to sleep, then sends Big Red running into the house to chase Peter's dad around. He eventually makes it out the door and down a porch, which is, of course, the perfect height for the mower to get a bit of air and cut a head off. Yeah, and here's, here's a clever a cleverish thing. Where at this point, because I'd forgotten so much of the film, um, having watched it over 20 years ago, I was watching this and thinking, he ain't that smart if he's using the one thing he's associated with to kill someone with. And then later on, it's addressed. And I'm like, okay, that was well done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Larry pulls up to his house in what I would, I think it's important to note, a stolen car. Yeah. Just, that's, just good. Larry pulls up. I mean, you up. know, it's, it's one ethical breach after another. Well, but, but it's not just an ethical breach for me. No, it's theft. And it's staggering it's stupidity. Because he is pulling up to this house in a car that is not his, in a small community where everyone knows each other. Yeah. To a place next door to an active crime scene. Swarming with police, gets out of his car and immediately goes to talk to a police lieutenant. <laughs> he stole a vehicle from a government contractor. Yeah, yeah. I, I fail to see the problem here. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> it's, all, it's all science. Yeah, right. He knows what he's doing. Uh,. He learns that Peter's dad is dead, the priest is dead, and that Marnie was found wandering around naked and laughing. The cops says that these are murders, uh, but then Job appears, and suddenly they think they're accidents. See? I was foolish to question him using the lawnmower to kill people. Ah, he's got it covered. He has, he has it all sorted out. He can brain stop you. Larry goes into his own house and finds that his wife has gone all Stepford. Heading to the basement, he discovers Job seizing with a headset on, and he seems to be communicating through the headset, telling Larry that VR is a whole new world that Job intends to be the conduit through which people enter. Uh, he accuses Larry of wanting to create monsters and tells him that he plans to return to VSI and transform into pure energy, a cyber Christ. Mm-hmm. We're finally there. <laughs> <laughs> Larry offers to try and help Job, saying that uh, Job's had a psychotic break. Uh, Job tries to read his mind and learns that the shop is coming for him, so he ties Larry to his chair. Larry's wife comes downstairs and receives some wordless instruction from Job before returning upstairs and retrieving a revolver from a drawer. After some people from the shop pull up, 
Job has a scene of the events playing out on the VR helmet so Larry can watch. And Larry's wife answers the door and then shoots the guy that was knocking, asking for Larry. And then she gets gunned down by another member of the team. And then Job appears as a vision to two other guys. And after they impotently fire at this vision, he disassembles them on a on a molecular level. Well, he turns them into <laughs> balls. Turns them into little balls and scatters the balls. <laughs> wow. It looks amazing. While the director of the shop is watching on a video feed. Now, telling Larry that he plans to infest the global network, Job heads out to go to VSI, stopping briefly to grow the grass around the bodies on the lawn <laughs> with his mind power, presumably to hide them? Yeah, and truly we've learned what a monster Job's become because he started the film mowing grass and now he's growing grass. He's become everything he hates. <laughs> And he psychically calls out to Terry to come pick him up. Now, the, the head of the shop orders Tim's to collect Larry's data on the project, misunderstanding what he's witnessed as a new form of energy weapon. Tim's... It's always weapons. It's all they fucking say. Tim's disbelieves, knowing Larry's opposition to the use of his research for war. But he sets to do what he's told. Mrs. Parkett and Peter pull up as Job is leaving, and Peter runs over to Larry's where Larry is screaming from his basement for help. Now, Peter frees him, and Larry tells Peter to have his mother call the cops while Larry goes and plays with his computers. Tim's is busy stealing Larry's work when a guard comes in and tells him that the front gate's malfunctioning and just open for some, we some reason, which, to Tim's credit, he rightly interprets as a very bad sign and orders all of the security to converge on that point. And then the computers start acting weird, and a researcher tells him that someone is hacked in from outside and is using a virus to cut VSI off from the global network. Larry returns to the car that he stole, but finds that Job has melted the engine block with his mind. So next he checks out the shop van, acquires some C4 from it, and asks Peter's mom for her car keys. And then, in a stunning, stunning display of... of... Right, he's been watching this abusive fuck hit this woman and her son and yell at them for God knows how long he's been living here, doing this research, living next to these people. He clearly has a relationship. He knows what's going on. And, and then when she starts being the slightest bit difficult in terms of, you know, him needing something from her, he immediately berates her. Oh, yeah, he does. What a... The hero, everyone. It's just... All of the guards assembled at the front, uh, front gate are neutralized by a loud buzzing sound that turns out to be digital bees. <laughs> Or, or, or wasps. I'm not sure. I which. forgot. I forgot about the bees. I forgot about the bees many times, and I think I think that this a, a significant chunk of this was added back in. Oh yeah, because they were like, Jesus Christ, we wasted so much money on the BGI. <laughs> well, and there's 
I don't remember ever. I mean, okay, I didn't remember the bees at all until I saw them the second time I watched this movie this time. Like, I'd forgotten that they were there when I was re-watching again for the purposes of writing well, yeah, the synopsis. I mean, yeah. I just forgot now until you reminded me. Right. Now I remember them. The bees are super forgettable, but I really don't remember any of those blue screen shots of them, like, not you know, being stung by the bees. I feel like maybe there might have been one originally, but certainly not like the four or five we see here that are all just guys awkwardly moving around. They're yeah. amazing. Uh, Terry drives past with Job, and the insects attack the guards, acting as a shield. And after pulling up, Job sends Terry home, but a guard appears and shoots Terry, and an angry Job has the guard turn the rifle on himself. Inside, Job finds Tim's, and does that whole marble thing to him. Larry pulls up with the parquets, uh, leaving them behind at the gate to go into VSI alone, and grabbing a rifle on his way in. Oh, I guess he's changed his mind about violence. Well, I mean, he never had any standards no, that's to begin exactly. with. He didn't believe in anything. His, his, he had no, no ethical lines before. He just, uh, just claimed to. So he uh, finds Tim's inside, still alive. His marbles being kept in a state of disassembly and reassembly. That looks like it's uncomfortable because he's screaming, I guess. It's hard to have a context for something like that. Job climbs into the VR rig and uploads himself while Larry's planting bombs around the facility. And when Larry reaches the, ma- the main lab, he tries to shut down the program, but Joe prevents him from inside and starts looking for a connection to exit the system through. Larry finds Job's corpse in the VR rig, which turns to dust as he touches this. Why is this always how this works? <laughs> Why? Where does the liquid go? Are it's we, called dram- dramatic erosion. Are are we just are we nothing more but an accumulation of our own juices? <sighs> anyway, his skull all like falls apart <laughs> after they overlay like CGI Job's face over it. Yeah, which which was, you know. Bad 20 years before this movie came out and had long been abandoned as a technique. Fools. Uh, So after planting the last of his bombs, Larry joins Job in VR. And Peter, having his mother having fallen asleep somehow, gets out of the car and runs into the facility. (laughs) In VR... Larry reveals that he has cut off the server and he tries to reason with Job to no avail. And Job eventually puts Larry on a literal digital cross. <laughs> and reading his mind, learns about the presence of the bombs. He tries to stop them, but his abilities no longer work in the physical world. So he proceeds to continue to try and find a way out, saying that, well, only Larry's going to die That's the here. one thing I remember most from Lawnmower Man, is all of those, 
um, signs coming up and him twisting his hands on them to try and yep. find the way out. Uh-huh. It's like if the special effects had aged well, that would have been a really cool visual that would have lasted. Like I always remembered it, even though it doesn't look very good now. No, it doesn't look very good now, but it is still consistent with the other visuals as we see them in here. And as I say, if you can just take this separate from your awareness that other CG exists and is much better, <laughs> uh, I, I think it works uh, pretty well. But yeah, I agree. This is one of the most visually interesting sequences in, in the film. Yeah. Uh, it's like they... Even though they couldn't nail anything believable about it, somehow I just thought maybe with the speed of it nailed the desperation of him. Yep. Trying a million times a second to get out. Uh, then Job detects the presence of Peter, and he still has some humanity. He's, you know, and, and Peter's a completely innocent figure in all of this, so Larry releases him so that he can be spared. Peter does uh, find Larry. And, and there's a locked door between them that Job then opens because he does still have access to the, the systems internally here. And they run out of the begin, out of the building. The explosion's following them while Job frantically looks for, looking for, uh, he's looking for an escape and eventually locating a maintenance line at the last second. Yeah. I always misremembered it, though, because I forgot about the bombs. And in my mind, I always remembered it as the last visual of Job is him testing all those things. Mm-hmm. As if he's trapped in there forever and that's all he's now doing for the rest of existence. He's trying to find a way out. And that may be why it stuck with me more. Because in my mind, that's a better visual. So not only is that a better visual, it's a better ending f- for the movie. So that I think so, it, yeah. And, and, I remembered it better. And I think it's a, a better conclusion for the purposes of the sequel. Because there is one. And oh. Job's got a body again in it. Just saying. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I also have a problem with the bombs here. And this is a little nitpicky, stupid thing. Because yeah, Alex had started watching it along with me by that point and was like, is the building just blowing up because it has to? Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. And I get why they wanted to have the seeds of them, you know, running out of the exploding building because there is basically no action in this film with the exception of the CGI game stuff being played, um, the lawnmower sequence in the uh, Parquette household, and... Yeah, I mean, that's basically yeah, it. That's about it. I mean, the monkey being shot to death at, at the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah. Yeah, so there's not so I can understand the impulse to to want to have something violently dramatic at the end. I guess my issue is with how the bombs were placed throughout the facility. Shouldn't they be running towards explosions? Cuz he set all these on 5-minute timers as he went further in. Mm-hmm. The bomb in the center rightfully is the one that last the last one to blow up. The, that last set, they would have to run past all the other bobs. And so all the bobs that they're seeing explore, exploding behind them should actually be exploding in front of them, shouldn't they? I just I see what you mean. Yeah. Just yeah, silly thing. Science. Yep. In an audio recording, Larry takes responsibility for what's happened to Job, sort of. Deciding to take his work underground to keep it safe from those who would misuse it. 
having learned in actuality nothing. And he indicates that he's made a change in his life by de- by declining to light a cigarette. This is this is the character development. Well, so long as he's made a decision that lets him live longer, yeah. the villain oh, yeah. of the piece. Yeah. No, that that is actually the. The pr- there's a difference here in this scene between the professed character development and the actual character development. And it's it's represented visually by this cigarette. He actually quit smoking. <laughs> That's dynamic character writing right there. Quit smoking. Good for him. The Parkettes arrive ready to leave with Larry. And as they head out, the phone rings, followed by phones all over the world. Recalling what Job said would happen when he was released to the digital world and this would signal his birth. Uh, yeah. And that he's still his out there somewhere. His birth scream, as he called it. Yeah. And that's it. That's, that's the lawnmower, lawnmower man. man. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a sequel. That means we're going to have to do that at some point. It's, uh, so it is... It, for all, in all of the ways that the lawnmower man is good... Because it, there are good things about this. Oh movie. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's generally well well performed. Uh, the script's not great, but that's you know the directing's not great. But it's all very competent. It has things it wants to say. It says those things, and they come across. I I think that it was a a, a warning <laughs> where we were going. <laughs> I don't think that they knew quite how it would manifest and they attached VR because it was a flashy idea at the time and it allowed them to use flashy visual effects of the time. Um, mm. I think that those, I think that the choice to do VR was in a lot of ways, a practical choice for the story. Uh, but it's really a story about what happens when we're all connected and have access to I- information and no wisdom. And Yeah. I was surprised yeah. by how Yeah, I mean, yeah. for a film that doesn't hold up, it somewhat held up. Yep, yep. This, in ways. The sequel is... We'll, well, we'll do it, but um, I'll just... I'll leave you this tantalizing tidbit. Uh, nobody... Only one actor from... I, I shouldn't say nobody. One actor from the original Lawnmower Man returns. Uh, he's the boy who played Peter. And he comes back... <laughs> And is the same character. Uh, and he, Brilliant. he he was kind of a thing at the time. He had he was in a few movies around the time of the Lawnmower Man, doing kid actor stuff. He was in the sequel to My Girl. Uh, he was in something else where it was a pretty significant role that he had. Um, that like he was the like the secondary character. What was that? It was uh. Oh, of course he's not getting great billing here on, I don't know. But it's some movie where there was a kid and an adult, and he was the kid. And it was very, very successful. Uh, So he returns. Uh, Job also returns as a character. And those are the only two characters, I think, that return. And Job is played by the one and only Matt Frewer. Okay. So you know <laughs> I'm going to do a sad. Uh, but it's, it's yes, it's, and they, they it, it also went through name changes. It was originally called, uh, it, it was at t- different times called 
Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace and Lawnmower Man 2 Job's War. So, yeah, um, it's awful. We'll, we'll do it another time. But, uh, but what are we doing next time, Jim? Uh, Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nah. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, we will be doing, um, I think we more or less agreed on yep. this last time before we did this, is uh, Castlevania. Yes. The next, the next iteration is out on Netflix. So we shall watch Netflix's second season of Castlevania. And we'll get back to you next time to tell you all about that. Um, normally, I say within two weeks. Uh, the one before this one, I said we'd be back to a normal schedule, but then we missed the whole week. Um, partly because of rescheduling, partly because Comcast, uh, like I say, it's pushed me back by days in some areas of my work. Um, I've got to do something about it. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll be back next time. Um, follow Conrad on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman. Um, and yeah, tell us how great we are for talking about the Lawnmower Man. And we'll see you next time with Castlevania Season 2. Bye. Bye.